good morning. I do want you to continue to pray for those who've been affected by the disasters as we prayed for this morning. And we are going to be looking into ways that we can help uh, as a church. And as soon as we have information on what that's going to look like, we'll be sure uh, to let you know so you can help with that as well. But this morning we're going to continue a series called The Songs of Christmas. And this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 and we're going to be looking at the song of good news from Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20, but specifically we're going to look at verses 8 through 20. I remember like it was yesterday, it was Christmas 1976, and some of you are thinking, I didn't think you could remember anything. How can you remember that far back? It was one of the first Christmases I remember. That Christmas I had asked for a basketball goal. And I got up Christmas morning. Now, at my house, we get up early. We got up early on Christmas morning. We got up between 4.30 and 5 a.m. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, we told our kids don't enter our bedroom till 7 o'clock on Christmas morning. But, but my parents weren't so fortunate. My brother and I were up between 4.30 and 5 a.m. So on that Christmas, I got up around 5 a.m. I went to the Christmas tree, and there was no basketball goal. I was disappointed. But then I remembered I'd left Santa milk and cookies. So I went to the table, and on the plate that I left the milk and cookies on, he had written this note, and he basically said I could not get the basketball goal through the front door. He said, you have no chimney, so I had to leave it under the house. So I woke my dad up, we got under the house, and he pulled out this, magically, this basketball goal. And I was so excited that I had gotten what I had asked for. And I was the only kid on the block, the only kid in my neighborhood that could say they had a basketball goal. And I was excited. I couldn't wait to tell my friends and my neighbors what I had gotten that Christmas. And if we would have had TikTok or Snapchat or Instagram, it would have been all over the world. But we didn't have anything but a landline phone. It was hard to share good news. But I couldn't wait to let my friends know at school and in the neighborhood what I got for Christmas. And when I receive good news, I get excited. I want to tell others. And I am sure you want to do the same thing. And Christmas should be about good news. Christmas should be a celebration about the greatest gift ever given. And that is Jesus. But often Christmas turns into panic. Let me show you. Do you realize there are only two Saturdays left to shop before Christmas? Some of you are panicking right now. Maybe some of you still haven't gotten up your Christmas decorations. You don't have much time left. There's frustration. There's so many things to go to, so many things left to do. You're rushing around and searching for that perfect gift that you can't find because no store has it, that you can't find it online. And you're running everywhere with very little time to spend and enjoy Christmas with your family. Maybe it's regret. Maybe you're thinking, why did I say I would host the family get-together this Christmas? I've got to clean the house, code speak for throw things in the closet, in the garage. I've got to put up decorations. I've got to get a menu together. I've got to do all these things. What was I thinking? Or maybe it's envy. Maybe you look at your decorations and say, they are so pitiful compared to my neighbors who could be on an HGTV Christmas special. Well, mine, Charlie Brown, would even be embarrassed by my Christmas decoration. But you see, during this time of year, there are so many emotions that can invade our hearts and minds. But the emotion, the attitude we should all display is not panic. It's not envy. It's not frustration. It's not regret. But it's one of joy and one of praise. 
Psalm 13, 5 and 6, the psalmist wrote, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. We need to praise God and thank him for his indescribable gift, Jesus Christ. And not just during Christmas, but every day that we live, we need to sing his praise and rejoice in his gift of salvation. And this morning, we're going to look at the angels' song to the shepherds. And really, it wasn't a song because the angels actually spoke to the shepherds. They didn't sing to the shepherds. But we're going to look at what the angel and the heavenly host spoke to the shepherds and why it is good news. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, to give context. Then we'll focus on verses 8 through 20. It said, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in cloth, laid him in a feeding trough or a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Let me just briefly summarize what we just read. Caesar Augustus, who was the Roman emperor, required a census to be taken. That means every man had to go with their families to register in their hometown. And Joseph, because of he was of the lineage of David, he had to return to the city of David, which it says in the scripture was Bethlehem. And he had to take Mary with him to whom he was engaged, who, who was going to give birth to the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus. And they had to travel south from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now this trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, it was about 70 miles. It took four to five days. Now, some people wonder, how did Mary get to Bethlehem? Some people think she rode a donkey. Well, do you realize Scripture didn't say she rode a donkey? It could also mean maybe she walked. But however she got there, it took them four to five days to travel that 70 miles. And when they got to Bethlehem, there was no room for them in the inn. Now, the inn, it's not a holiday inn like we think of, or a motel or a hotel. It is a, is a house. It's a, it's a house with, some, with just several rooms for guests. And when they got to Bethlehem, because everybody was coming back for the census, they could not find a place to stay. So arrangements were made for them to stay in a cave where animals were kept. And it was probably very adjacent to the inn or maybe even located under the inn with the inn being above that cave or that stable. And not long after Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, Mary gave birth to Jesus. And scripture says she wrapped him in, in swaddling clothes or snugly cloth and laid him in that feeding trough. So that's the context of where we pick up of what happens next between the angels and the shepherds. In verse 8, it says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. The angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host was the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. 
When the angel had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off. They found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. From this passage, I want us to see that the angel's words to the shepherds revealed to us and to them four things about this good news that they shared. The first thing is this, the good news will require sacrifice. The good news will require sacrifice. You look at verses, and that comes from verses 8 through 12. When the angels appeared to the shepherds, the shepherds were startled. They were terrified. Now in the past couple of weeks, we saw that same scene play out in the life of Zechariah, the life of Mary. When the angel appeared to them, they were terrified as well. And the angel told the shepherds, just as the angel had told Mary and Zechariah, do not be afraid. Now the question that always has been asked is why did the angel first appear to the shepherds to tell them about the birth of Jesus? Now normally we think of shepherds as being looked down upon, as shepherds as being held in low regard, as being despised, and being mistreated, and being poor and lonely, and being of bad reputation, and even some people thought they were, they were dishonest. And shepherds have been thought of as representing those people who have forgotten the outcasts and ordinary people. However, there is a strong belief that these shepherds were not shepherds of ordinary sheep. Alfred Edersheim, who studied and taught theology in Scotland in the 1800s, he wrote a book entitled, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And in writing about these shepherds, he referenced the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a collection of documents that recorded the oral traditions that governed the lives of Jewish people during the time of the Pharisees. And it gave understanding as how Jews were to live during the time of Jesus. And listen to what one regulation in the Mishnah says. It says, It forbids the keeping of flocks throughout the land of Israel except in the wildernesses. And the only flocks otherwise kept would be those for temple services. Now why is this significant? Because Jerusalem and Bethlehem, which were only five and a half miles apart, and the surrounding fields were not in the wilderness where ordinary flocks were kept. Therefore, the sheep under the care of these shepherds near Bethlehem must have been raised for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was the purpose of being sacrifices in the temple at Jerusalem. And many scholars believe that these shepherds were actually priests who worked in the temple. And they refer to these shepherds as shepherd priests. You see, the shepherds that the angel appeared to were actually priests whose job was to raise sheep that were going to be used for temple sacrifices during Passover. And these shepherds had to make sure that these lambs were spotless and without blemish, and they were completely unharmed. Now digest that for a moment in relation to Jesus and what he came to do. Think about Jesus who was born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger. Is the same Jesus that John the Baptist said 33 years later, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Meaning Jesus is going to give his life for our sins. Just like these sheep who were being raised were going to give their lives for the sins of the people. I've heard this story many times during my life being in church. And hardly ever have I heard this about these shepherds and these sheep. And this is mind-blowing to think about that these shepherds that these angels appeared to were shepherd priests who were raising sheep for the purpose of sacrifice. And that's the exact reason that Jesus came. And think about what was going through the minds of these shepherds when they heard the angels say in verses 10 and 11, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today a Savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David. For the shepherds, this meant that the time of animal sacrifices was about to come to an end because the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, the Lamb of God, had been born and will one day give his life for those who would put their faith and trust in him. And if I don't know what, I don't know, I mean, this is good news. You talk about good news, this is good news. This is reason to rejoice. This is reason to celebrate. This is reason to praise God. And if this isn't good news, I don't know what good news is. And we need to understand that in order for the good news, in order for the gospel to be a reality, it required the sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect, the spotless Lamb of God. If Jesus did not come to sacrifice, guess what? There would be no good news. Praise God for the good news that Jesus was willing to leave heaven and come to this earth as a baby and live a sinless life and be willing to sacrifice himself for us. That's good news. Secondly, the good news only requires sacrifice. The good news will require a response. Verses 13 and 14 says, Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth on whom his favors rest. God's desire is for every person to be delivered from sin and death. John 3.16, a verse is very familiar to most of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Whoever, meaning anyone who puts their faith and trust in him, will be delivered from sin and death. And according to 2 Peter 3.9, God does not want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. God doesn't desire for anyone to go into eternity without him. Instead, God wants everyone to have peace with him. And this is a choice that each person has to make for themselves. You have to choose to make peace with God by putting your faith in God. Your faith has to be your faith. It can't be your parents' faith. It can't be your grandparents' faith. It can't be your best friend's faith. It has to be a personal faith that requires a personal choice from you to choose to follow God and accept the sacrifice that he made for your sins. And in verse 14, the angel said, peace on earth. This is not talking about earthly peace. And in fact, no matter how many peace treaties are signed between nations, there will not be earthly peace until Jesus returns again. The peace that this angel is referring to is talking about peace and our relationship with God. And the only way to make peace with God, the only way to gain the favor of God, is through the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes through the Father but through me. Jesus made it very clear the only way to have peace with God and to gain favor with God is through 
Him. In Romans 5, 1, Scripture says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, anyone who puts their faith in God and makes peace with God and receives the favor of God becomes part of the family of God. And this is good news for all people, but in order to receive it and benefit from it, it requires a personal choice on our part. And I ask this, you this morning, have you come to the place in your life where you've made peace with God and you've gained the favor of God by putting your faith and trust in His Son, Jesus? There may be another reason the angel appeared to the shepherds, not just to show that the good news was intended for everyone, but also to foreshadow the fact that Jesus is the good shepherd. In John 10, Jesus said this in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. John 10, 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. You see, as the good shepherd... Jesus provides for us. Jesus takes care of us. He nurtures us. He disciplines us. He watches over us. He laid down his life for us. And I think of Psalm 23, 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And if Jesus is your good shepherd, then you should not want or desire anything but him. And when you receive the good news, Jesus becomes your good shepherd. There is no better guide. There's no one better to follow. There's no one better to take care of you than Jesus. And I ask you this morning, how have you responded to the good news? Does God's favor rest on you because you have made peace with him by receiving his son, Jesus? The third thing I'll share with you is from verses 15 to 19. The good news should result in immediate action. The good news should result in immediate action. After the angels depart, the shepherds, Scripture says, immediately went to Bethlehem. They went in a hurry. They did not waste any time. Now, I'll, this is speculation, but I, I'll put money on it. These were not Baptist shepherds. You say, why do you say that? Well, they didn't nominate a committee to make a decision. They didn't hold a business meeting to make a decision. They made the personal choice to go to Bethlehem. They were urgent in their response to the good news. They could not wait to see what God had revealed to them. And they wanted to know more about what God had made known to them. They wanted to see this baby that the angels talked about and had been prophesied about. They wanted to see him for themselves. God was at work and they wanted to be a part of it. And they stepped out in faith. And what the shepherd saw is exactly what the angel promised. They saw baby Jesus, the Savior of the world, lying in a manger in a feeding trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes or snugly cloth. Now here's something else I really didn't know or haven't heard about the swaddling clothes or the snugly cloth. There is some great significance to these swaddling clothes. These were not ordinary cloths. They weren't rags that Mary and Joseph found lying around. These were the same type of cloths used by the shepherd priest to keep the lambs clean and spotless as the lambs were being prepared for the sacrifice. How did Mary and Joseph get these cloths? 
remember, Zechariah was a priest. And his wife Elizabeth was related to Mary. And earlier in Luke chapter 1 and verses 36 through 39, the scripture talks about how Mary went and stayed with Elizabeth for three months while she was pregnant. So the way Mary and Joseph got these type of cloths probably came from Zechariah. And it's only fitting that Jesus was wrapped in these cloths because Jesus is the Lamb of God and Jesus is our great high priest. Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And here there's a lesson for us. When God speaks to us, we need to respond the way these shepherds did. We need to respond immediately and urgently. And we need to desire to be a part of where God is working. But instead, often we delay our obedience to God. Or we partially obey God. And do you realize what these shepherds would have missed if they would have not responded to God the way they did? Just like the rest of Bethlehem, they too would have missed out on seeing the Savior. And when we do not immediately respond to God, we miss out on the blessings of God. When we don't respond to God immediately and urgently, we miss out on what He has for us. And notice what else the shepherds did. Not only did they go to Bethlehem hastily, but it says they could not keep silent about what they had seen And about what they had experienced. They could not contain their excitement. They had to let others know about what the angel had said to them about this child, Jesus. They had to let others know that the Savior had been born. And these shepherds have been called the first evangelists. And in verse 18 it says, Those who heard the shepherds were amazed. You know, like the shepherds, we must not keep silent about the good news. Of Jesus Christ. We must be willing to share the good news with others. We must be willing and be excited about what God has done for us and what He has done for us. He can do for them, but they have to know that, and we are the ones that have to tell them that. We should not stay silent about what God has done for our life in our lives. We should be willing to testify and proclaim the goodness and the greatness of God. Recently, Joni and I went to buy some, some furniture. And we were filling out a credit card application because I wanted the no-interest deal. Don't judge me, but I wanted the no-interest the no deal. And on the application, it asked for my place of employment. And I put Red House Baptist Church. As the salesman was looking over the application, he said this to me. I've never had this question before. He said, what's the difference between Baptist and Catholic? I'm there to buy furniture. And he says, what's the difference between Baptist and Catholic? And he shared how he was brought up as Catholic. And, he, and this is what he said. He said, I think my girlfriend of seven, several years is Baptist. I'm thinking, y'all don't talk very often, do you? You think she's Baptist after several years, but I didn't say that. But you talk about an open door. He asked me the difference between Catholics and Baptists. And lovingly, I shared some of the differences and how Catholics usually believe salvation by work. And as Baptists, we believe you are saved by grace through faith. And our salvation is not based on what we do, but what Jesus has done for us. And then he talked about how his mom had died from cancer a few years ago. And then Joni shared, she shared how I'd recently lost my mom. 
This was a God encounter. This is not something we had planned. And I could tell that this gentleman was hurting. He was still a little bit angry and bitter at God about what had happened. And then we started talking about Christmas and the true meaning. And I talked to him about how Jesus came to give his life so we can have a relationship with him and we can have heaven as our home. You know what he said to me? He said, I would like that. Wow, another open door. So I asked him, I said, has there ever been a time in your life when you've came to the point that you realized that you needed to have Jesus as your Savior? Humbly, he bowed his head and he said, honestly, sir, I can't say that. Another open door. So I shared with him how he could have Jesus. I shared the plan of salvation. I took out my Red House business card and I wrote down the plan of salvation on it with some verses and my, my cell phone number and told me to call me if he had any questions. I encouraged him to go to church. I invited him to the Red House, but since he lived in Lexington, I gave him some options in Lexington that he could, that he could go to. You see, God gave me the opportunity to share the gospel. God gave me the opportunity to share the good news and to share what God had done for me. And I don't know if this young man has ever has given his life to Christ yet or not. I'm praying he did or that he will. But what we need to understand is that when we have the opportunity to share the good news, we need to take advantage of it. All of us should be willing to proclaim and be excited about what God has done for us. How could you not be excited that God brought you from death to life? That's exciting. How, how come we can't be excited the fact that Jesus is our Savior and heaven is our home. That's exciting. You know what? And when we share the good news, we have to realize we can't control how people respond to the good news that we share. When the shepherd shared the good news, it says people were amazed. And maybe some of those people chose to believe in God at that moment. We don't know. But some people may respond without right rejection. They may say, that's not for me. They may say Jesus was a great man or a great prophet or a great teacher, but never admit he's the son of God and the only way to God. And they're going to turn Jesus away. And just like there's no room in the end for Jesus in this story, often there's no room in the hearts and lives of people for Jesus. Too, too much going on. They're preoccupied. Their lives and their hearts are crowded with everything but what matters, and that's Jesus. Others may be interested and choose to start seeking Jesus. And I will say this, if you start seeking Jesus, there's no doubt you'll find Jesus. I think of C.S. Lewis, a great Christian scholar who lived in the early 20th century from England. His goal was to discredit the Bible and discredit God. But he found out that God was real and he gave his heart to God and God has continued to use him and his writings in a mighty way to reach people. I think of Josh McDowell, great Christian apologist who set out to discredit God. He was an atheist. Gave his life to God. Discovered God was real. I think of Lee Strobel, the same thing. Journalist for the Chicago paper, Chicago Tribune, set out to disprove God and discredit God. Came to find out that God was real and gave his life to God. And God has used him in many ways to write books. And now he's a pastor at a church. But I promise you, if you seek Jesus, you will find him. Others will accept the message and ask God into their lives. And that's exactly what God wants people to do. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why the angels shared the good news so people could respond to it and give their life to Christ. And for those of us who've received Jesus, we need to be like Mary. In verse 19, we need to continually reflect on the wonder and the story of Jesus. You see, the story of Jesus should never get old. The story of Jesus should get more exciting for us who put our faith and trust in Christ each 
and every day. Finally, I'll say the good news should result in praise. In this passage, the angels and shepherds, they gave praise to God. In verse 14, it says, A multitude of angels say glory to God in the highest. They were giving praise to God because of what he had just did. This announcement was significant. It was the fulfillment of Scripture that was promised back in the Old Testament 700 years before. And the book of Isaiah said that Jesus would be born of a virgin. The book of Micah said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. You see, the coming of the Messiah was no longer a distant reality. Jesus, God in the flesh, was here. And we see in verse 20, we read that the shepherds, it says, return glorifying and praising God for all they seen and heard. They were verbally giving honor to God for what he had done. And in essence, they were saying joy to the world. The Lord has come. And when God does something, we should celebrate. We should praise him. We should let people know. You know what happens when something usually good happens to us? We have no problem sharing it with others. I remember in college when I was chosen to be part of the National Engineering Honor Society called Tau Beta Pi. It was a shock to me. You know why it was a shock to me? I had a GPA of 2.99. And I was chosen to be in the National Engineering Honor Society. I remember exactly where I was sitting. I was in my engineering economics class and was delivered a letter. I opened it and about hit the floor because they chose me with that GPA to be in the National Engineering Honor Society. I just assumed they got the wrong person. I assumed it was a, a really weak field. I don't know what the reason was, but for some reason I was chosen to be part of that. And then they talked me into being president of all things. That was a shock. But I was excited and I wanted to tell others that I had been excited. I didn't tell them my GPA. I just told them I was excited to be in the National Engineering Honor Society. I remember when I got engaged to Joni. Let me clarify. When I got engaged to Joni, it was exciting. And I think sometimes she wonders why she said yes, but she did. But we couldn't wait to share that good news with others. It was midnight, June 16, 2000. I remember the date. June 16, 2000, at midnight, we got engaged. My parents go to bed by 10 p.m. We were so excited. We called. I called my parents. She called her parents. I woke my parents up, and I think they thought they were in a dream because I thought I was in a dream in that moment as well. But we were willing to share the good news of what had happened in our lives. When a baby is born, the birth of a child, we get excited about that. We get excited about Christmas Day, the unwrapping of gifts, the meal, the spending time with family. And there is nothing wrong about getting excited about these things. When we look at the meaning of the birth of Jesus, we should not be able to contain our excitement. We should rejoice as the angels rejoice. We should rejoice as the shepherds rejoice. In fact, should we not get more excited and have a greater celebration of the birth of Jesus than anything else should we not get more excited about unwrapping the gift of Jesus Christ why because the birth of Jesus is a celebration it's a celebration of life it's a celebration of Jesus' birth because it is the birth of Christ that culminates in the death of Christ that gives us hope and victory over death and through the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus We have new life, we have abundant life, and we have eternal life. 
And because he lives, we can live. And that should be cause for celebration. It's a celebration not only life, but a celebration of love. It's a celebration of God's love. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his love to us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And God's love is universal. God's love is unconditional. God's love is sacrificial. God's love is faithful. God's love is eternal. It's full of grace and mercy. It's forgiving. And because He is love, 1 John 4 says, we can love. And without God, there is no love. That's cause for celebration. It's also a celebration of liberty. Romans 8.2 says this, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In John 8.32, Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, because Jesus is free, because the tomb is empty, we can be free from the law of sin and of death, and we can be free in Christ. There was a television reporter who was walking the streets of Tokyo at Christmas time. And, and much as in America, Christmas in Japan is a very commercialized business and it's a huge success. And the interviewer stopped a young woman on the sidewalk and asked her this, What is the meaning of Christmas? Laughing, she responded, I don't know. Is that the day that Jesus died? Now think about that. She had the wrong answer, obviously, but there is some truth in what she said because the only reason Jesus came to earth was to die for me and to die for you. He came to free us from the bondage of sin and death. He came to give his life as a ransom for us. He came to take our place on the cross at Calvary. And we need to celebrate with the shepherds and the angels over the birth of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. We need to praise God for the good news. We need to praise God for the giving of His Son. Because the good news of Jesus Christ is the greatest news ever. Long ago, there ruled in Persia a wise and good king. And this wise and good king, he loved his people, and he wanted to know how his people lived. And, and he wanted to know about their hardships. And often he would dress in the clothes of a, of a beggar, and he would go to the homes of the poor. And no one he visited thought that he was their king. But one time he visited a very poor man who lived in a cellar, and he ate the coarse food the man ate, and he spoke cheerful and kind words to him, and then he left. Later he came back, and he visited this man again, and he disclosed his identity, and he said this to the man. He said, I am your king. Well, the king thought that the man surely would ask for some gift or some favor, but he didn't. Instead, he said this. He said, you left your palace and your glory to visit me in this dark, dreary place. You ate the coarse food I ate. You brought gladness to my heart. To others you have given your rich gifts, but to me you have given yourself. That is exactly what God did for us. Through His Son, Jesus, God gave Himself to us. And He brought joy, and He brought gladness into our lives. Jesus left the glory of the Father and the glory of heaven and humbled himself to be born as a baby in the most lowly of circumstances as he was willing to exchange his kingly garments for those of a beggar and he was willing to experience what we experienced. He was born in obscurity and loneliness and humiliation and poverty. 
He experienced temptation and loneliness and frustration and weakness and disappointment and rejection and sorrow and ridicule. He was born in a world full of sin and he died with sinners. And he died for you and me. His humble beginning among ordinary people perfectly fits with the task that he came to do. And this quote I found sums it up perfectly. It says, because of the manger, God is with us. But because of the cross, God is in us. You see, because God is with us and God is in us, our response to the good news of the coming of the Son of God, the Savior of the world, should be the same as that of the shepherds. We should respond with excitement and with words and works of praise as He deserves nothing less. I want to challenge you this Christmas to reflect and to celebrate the good news of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never responded to the good news that that He came to give His life for you. Maybe you've been rejecting Him. Or maybe you've been turning Him away. Or, Or maybe you're here and you're seeking what the truth really is. I want to encourage you to respond this morning and make room for Jesus in your life. And give your life to Him. Or maybe you're here and you've given your life to Jesus. I ask you, what is your response to the good news? Is it a response of praise? Does the good news of Jesus Christ, does it excite you still the way it excited you when you gave your life to Jesus? Do you respond with the response of proclamation? Are you willing to share with others what God has done for you? Maybe you're here this morning and you need to recommit your life to Christ. Maybe you've wandered away from God. Maybe God's calling you to follow Him in baptism or to be a member of Red House. After we pray, we're going to have a song of commitment. And during that song of commitment, I want to invite you to come to this altar and pray as God has led you in the service this morning. Or if you need to talk to me or pray with me, I'll be down front for you to do that. But however God is asking you to respond to the good news this morning, I want to challenge.